Hello everyone and happy new year at uh, Tennis with an Accent. Uh, we've been quiet at this uh, forum for almost a month now uh, and we have very good reason to be back. It's Saqib Ali and Matt Semek kicking off the show and we have one of our favorite guests of all time, Mark Petchy, really no introduction needed. Every time he joins our podcast, uh, the listenership just grows. So on that note, hello to everyone and welcome to Mark. Hey guys, thanks for having me back on. It's uh, it's good to chat with you, and um, yeah, looking forward to some tennis. Yeah, in a, like in a couple of weeks. Absolutely, uh, not your ideal season kickoff podcast. I've been busy watching a lot of cricket. I'm sure Matt is also busy doing, you know, football and other things. So uh, let's see. We don't. We, cricket we is pretty good, huh? <laughs> yeah, cricket was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, not awesome for your host right now, Australia. But again, you know, they've been in the commanding position for so long. So now I think. The cycles have turned a little bit. Media uh, sport. Yeah. So, so me and Matt will, Mark, you know, as uh, last time with me and Andrew, we'll just field some questions off you, pick your knowledge yep. and, and make it a good listening experience for our, our, our listeners here at Tennis and Accent. So usually we are good, but we are also warming up. We haven't done this in a while, so hopefully we don't step on each other. But I think I won't need much editing because me and Matt, I think we have done this before quite often. So first question out of the gate, I mean, with all things considered, there's a lot of voices, uh, Mark. Should this tournament be even happening? I know sports should not come to a stop. Tennis had a mini season after COVID last year. So what's, what's your opening statement for, you know, this tournament, you know, why we are here and do we fully appreciate yeah. it? I think it's a great question. I, I do think that it should go ahead. Yeah, I think that um, I, I honestly can't. Um, say enough about the way that Tennis Australia, the Australian government have gone around trying to make this the safest possible uh, international sort of sporting event with the quantity of people that are coming in. It was uh, it was always a huge undertaking, but they honestly couldn't have, have cared enough um, about um, every detail. And obviously, you know, this is an ever-changing pandemic, you know, um, we're all in it together. We all understand the, the risks of anything that we try and plan on an international travel scale. And it changes from day to day. Um, and, you know, and, and some of that we've obviously seen trying to get the players here. But in terms of it, in terms of what they've done, in terms of the organisation and, and what they've invested into trying to make this tournament happen, then my overriding feeling to that question is, yes, it, yes, it should happen. And I, I believe it will be a, a safe Australian Open. So this is an extension again. Uh, you mentioned cricket right at the top, as uh, I, I mentioned myself. So Indian team was there, probably is uh, heading back now. So that bubble was very different because the cricketers came from IPL, which is a league that was held in Dubai. So they came from one bubble to another. And of course, uh, Indian contingent was probably 30, 35 men strong. And now we're talking about uh, 1,200 people you know, coming to State of Victoria for the Australian Open. And then there is uh, the crowd in Adelaide. So it's definitely not your average, you know, one team going to Australia for a sporting event. This is, uh, this is a big, big, you know, a big turnover in terms of, you know, the people coming in. So what were the expectations of the tennis community? I mean, a lot of players are saying they were not fully prepared for this. One thing is to respect the environment and one thing is not to be able to practice. So I'm sure you've talked to many people. You're pretty active on Twitter. So how do you tackle this response from your fellow tennis, uh, you know, people from your community and uh, us from outside are consuming it from various angles. So it's hard to take a stance given Australia's 
you know, uh, government's uh, strict rules and how well they have controlled this? So it's kind of a wide question, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a big question, and I think it's a great question. And I think it, you know, and it obviously, deserve, you know, needs a bit of time to to sort of tackle it as well it's not it's not a straightforward answer i think that you know when this tournament was put on and and players were being sort of uh, you know told about the trip to come here you know and how hard the lockdown had been here for people particularly in victoria but just the way that the australian government had gone around trying to keep covid out which has been sensational um you know players should have been well aware that that was the environment that they were traveling into. It's no different to going to a country with different religious beliefs or, or alcohol uh, restrictions that you need to understand where you're traveling to and respect those traditions, respect uh, what those governments do. Um, and obviously from a lot of players' points of view, they were coming from countries that had been pretty lax, um, if we're being honest, in terms of restrictions um, for large periods of last year. And I think that possibly the expectation from from their point of view was that you know the the hard quarantine i i say hard in inverted in inverted commas because obviously there's been a lot of australians who can't even get back some australians with kids have had to do this quarantine in one room for two weeks so i think the reality is this is just a normal quarantine that's had to happen and it was it was somewhat expected. Um, and I think that, you know, speaking to people and hearing stuff from last year where there was supposedly, and this may or may not be 100% true, there was a call last year where apparently 100 ATP singles players and 50 top doubles players were going to jump on for 30 minutes. And I believe around 20% of the players jumped on that call. Now, you know, that's a very small amount. And when you hear some of the players that were on the calls and were seemingly actively involved, they seem to know that there was a good possibility that the close contact was going to happen and a hard quarantine or a quarantine would happen here um, if there was a positive case on the plane. And I think the reality is, is that for all of us, we have a responsibility and I certainly feel a responsibility even when I leave this quarantine to go to the courts, come back, even though we're obviously very much, it's not in the community here, but to be responsible. I was in the Okavanga in Botswana Prior to coming to Australia, there was huge amounts of change. Obviously, Emirates cancelled their flights to Australia, trying to put on another uh, bunch of flights that Tennis Australia needed to do to satisfy the government to keep sure the numbers were down on these planes. It was just a mammoth undertaking from their point of view. But I was in the middle of the Okavanga, where COVID hasn't really fortunately picking up there now. But even once I came out of, of the Okavanga Delta itself and I was in Mound, I spent three days at my in my sister-in-law's house without going to the shops or, or leaving it because I did not want to potentially put myself in a position where, you know, I obviously uh, could catch COVID because it was increasing there. And even with a negative PCR, we know three days before you potentially, obviously you, you can show signs of it after that. So there's a huge responsibility on the tennis players and the international traveling uh, coaches and everybody to make sure that we are, 100% responsible for our own actions before we take trips and try and mitigate any potential positive cases. It's going to be virtually impossible with the way that the virus is mutating to do that. But you have to try. You can't be sightseeing even if you're in certain places you know, prior to coming here because it's just too big a gamble. And when you think of what Tennis Australia 
Victoria and the Victorian government and health officials that are working and putting themselves at risk here to come and take our COVID tests have put into this. You know, we, we needed to do better um, as, a, as a community. We needed, to, we needed to shine a light. And it's been pretty disappointing that most of the, you know, the, you know, the negative press has come out via the social media channels when this could have been preempted. And I feel as though there is a duty of responsibility to both tours. You can say they're individual contractors when you want, but then they're unions and then you're signed up to your organization. But there needed to be somebody that was taking charges, say, hey, listen, if you don't like what happens when you turn up in Australia, given what the Australians have been through and what their rules are, back channel it to Tennis Australia and don't stick it on your social media. Because had we had they done that, we wouldn't be in this sort of negative spiral of, of press scrutiny, which is understandable given I feel Novak has been incredibly unlucky as well because he's done something that he felt was necessary in reaching out with that letter to try and put some, you know, to help people here in Melbourne while they're in Adelaide. Um, and he's been unfortunately torched in the process, but had everybody who was unhappy with what had gone on actually done it the right way, which is to go back to Tennis Australia privately, Novak wouldn't have been in a position where he needed to write that letter and then receive some unjustifiable negative press. So, you know, the responsibility lies with educating people that social media is not ultimately your first go-to play when you come. And if you have an employer like Tennis Australia, which they are, putting on an event like this with the, the amount that they've dipped into their reserves that's going to pay you. I know not everyone's getting 100,000 Aussie dollars guaranteed, you know, doubles players aren't and everything else. But if your employer is, 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 is giving you a job, how many of us would go on social media and criticize them and then expect to keep our job? Mark, uh, given what happened at the U.S. Open and Roland Garros yeah. last September and October, you know, in your estimation, Mark, do you think that setting forth any kinds of expectations or or beliefs among players that you know with Australia being a very different situation that that led to if not a miscommunication just a, a, a failure to fully grasp you know the severity and, and and the seriousness with which the Victorian government in Australia ha, has tackled uh, this Australian open and that has that created kind of a gulf between uh, expectations and reality among the players who are traveling down there to Australia. I think that's a very fair point you make. I think that that probably has had something to do with it because obviously there's been huge amounts of, you know, community transmission in both of those two countries. Um, and sadly loads of deaths around it as well. So I think that from that point of view, having played those two grand slams in those kind of conditions that probably somewhat falsely um, maybe the players you know, you know, thought that it was going to be somewhat uh, the same. They they kind of took it on board that, that there were zones in the planes and and that would save them and everything else. But you know, the rules were there, and you know, two hours within you know in a confined space, you know, that was that was basically you doing quarantine, and and it was there. Uh, whether it was as clear as the players wanted it to be, and and certainly some people have said, well, they managed to read through the line. They were some are absolutely crystal clear that that's what it was, and as I said. It seems like quite a few players didn't jump on calls potentially when they could have done um, that that yeah they were unaware that 
the, the Victorian government and the people of Australia who have put so much sacrifice into making sure that they are, you know, hopefully without any sort of community transmission here, um, do not want this to, 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 to hamper the progress and the sacrifices that they made. And if, if you were unaware coming in that that was going to be the reaction to anything negative that you said, then I'm sorry, but you've only got yourself to blame. You've had your head in the sand because, you know, along with New Zealand and Taiwan and places that have just literally, you know, handled this pandemic, you know, better than anyone else in terms of protecting their own citizens, then surely you were aware that if you came in here and you were with somebody that, that there was a very good chance that you could be in a, in a 14 day quarantine, um, which I accept is not the greatest preparation, but, I'm sorry, but again, second second place is 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 you know you've still got you've still got time after this to potentially get yourself ready for the for the Grand Slam. So, yeah, I don't I don't know if you can use ignorance or those prior um, Grand Slams as an excuse, but they may well have had a bearing on it. Perspective is the key word here, right? And you you've already stated some uh, excellent points. So you've worn uh, you know many different hats. You're a former player. You travel with the player as a coach, and you are also a broadcaster. So this is a question to Petchy, the coach. Uh, so what kind of work that goes into a player's routine in the off-season? Because Australian Open usually when the season kicks off. So just speaking from, you know, not from the sacrifice the government has made, if the player is even aware, how much of a disruption this uh, quarantine will be? Say if you and your charge were there and you went into the mindset, okay, we won't be able to hit the course for 14 days. We're going to Melbourne. So how difficult is that a mindset? And uh, I will get to the other part of if the playing field is level in the second question, but talk about the mindset, you know, and the disruption of this uh, and keeping the perspective that you still get the opportunity to play the sport. Well, I think that's the most important thing is keeping the perspective that you get an opportunity to play this sport. You get to play um, a lead up tournament and you get to play a, a major. And I think we're very fortunate everybody that's involved with this sport at the moment that it's a pretty rich sport and that we've got you know people like Craig Tiley, Tennis Australia and, and the other federations who are willing to go the extra mile to put these tournaments on like the USDA French Federation and, and everything else obviously Wimbledon lucky this year that they had the insurance so they didn't have to run it but you know this has been just a massive undertaking so you know, it, it, it's definitely massively impactful. I mean, there's no way you can get around it. Hitting tennis balls against a mattress in your hotel room, it's not going to cut it when you should be outside on a, on a court. I, obviously, the heat is going to be a big issue as well, coming out from an air-conditioned room. Obviously, we can whack the air conditioning up and sit on a bike and, and get some sort of real sweat going and everything else. So you can maintain a, a, degree, maintain a degree of uh, cardiovascular work, but it is obviously extremely difficult for the players that have been stuck in the hotel room it will be the most unequal start to a major in tennis's history there's there's absolutely no question um in terms of the preparation for certain players against others but i i do think that if you have the right mindset and you have done the majority of the work uh, that you wanted to do in the off season and there's an awful lot of physical work going on there um and that may be where some of the players are going to get caught short that they invested so much time in the physical you know, the reality is that, um, you know, that, that that is a bit of a problem. And I'm just going to come back to that. Oh, my phone just stopped ringing. Okay, that's cool. Um, they've been amazing here. I've been COVID tested every day and, and they ring to check you're okay and everything. So, um, so yes, in answer to your question, 
it is going to be a very unequal start. It is going to be tricky, but I do think that it is manageable. And I think ultimately people are going to be surprised with the results of the players that have been caught in quarantine um, in terms of how successful they ultimately are. Mark, what has this uh, situation uh, preceding the Australian Open done uh, to reshape uh, uh, the tennis community's understanding and awareness of uh, how the tours are governed, how they operated, you know, tennis governance. Uh, it, it's, this has really been a time where, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of tennis played over the past 10 months. And so, you know, that, that has given a lot of power brokers in the sport a chance to revisit methods and practices and the, and the structure of the sport. You know, we memorably had Roger Federer last April, you know, suggesting a merging of the tours. Uh, how does this, episode change for anyone in your opinion uh the, just the overall sense of the tennis community on tennis governance and uh what how the tours or the the sport might be restructured on the other side of the pandemic well that yeah you guys are you know, you said you haven't done this for a while but you're coming with some pretty uh pretty strong questions and um, some pretty great questions and i'm not sure that i have all the right answers for them but in terms of, 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 of how it, it looks. I think that the whole union is a, is a good look. I think it would be, I think it's just, I, I do, I, I do feel as though that they would be stronger together. I do feel as though the combining of the tours would be a very positive thing. I just see so many obstacles. I mean, you only need to look at the optics of tournaments, you know, in the first sort of third of this year um, to, to see that, you know, the number of men's tournaments compared to the women's tournaments and, you know, just how you balance that out going forward as a combined union um, from an optics point of view, um, if you can't generate the commercial interest to, to infill in terms of the number of tournaments, it's just going to be in the, in, in the society that we live in right now, it's just going to be impossible. So I see, I see optics as being, you know, a big, a big issue in terms of that, that sort of um, uh, vision of, of tennis coming together um is it insurmountable probably not but i do think there's an awful lot of work from the tweet that roger put out to the reality of it becoming coming to fruition and uh, and i don't think it's easy i think there's there's an awful lot of stuff i do feel a lot for Ga uh, andrea gaudenzi i think he's got an amazing vision for the sport um in terms of how he sees it where he sees the upside uh, commercially in the data um and, and the tournaments and how he sees them running the bigger events i think that you know that it's bold it's 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 kind of what tennis needs i think he's been incredibly unlucky that he's basically dealt with bushfires he's dealt with a global pandemic and he hasn't really been able to be given a chance um and obviously again optics are a big thing you know the players got andrea involved in the atp and then obviously we had the the ptpa sort of announcement um in new york um, and I think there's a lot of merits to the PTPA. I haven't been, uh, I'm not, I'm not their number one fan because I feel as though if you're going to go down that route, and I think it's very difficult to go down that route from an act in terms of businesses and their individual contractors over becoming a, a union. I think there's a lot of obstacles that they will have to cross legally to be able to make that dream also come to fruition. But I think there's some, some value in it, but I think from my side personally, um, it never felt like it was a belts and braces approach from the bottom up. And I think that the players on the futures levels and the challenger levels are the ones that needed the first help, not coming to the slams and, and, and asking for more money because had say a tennis Australia not been prudent in putting away as much as they have done in reserves over the last few years, the tennis players that are currently here this year 
um, enjoying the privilege of, of being in Australia and an opportunity to play in the tournament wouldn't have had that opportunity because there would have been no money left. So, you know, those, um, you know, those, the, the, those are, those are really big issues. And I think that the sport, I would love to tell you, you know, this pandemic has, has shown up that, you know, in terms of what we could be doing better together, but even trying to potentially get all the four majors on board together when for a large part of it is an arms race for them in terms of being the best major, um, you know, therefore is, is, is every decision that they make, um, you know, fulfilling one mission statement that it's the best for global tennis. And I think that obviously they have their own commercial demands put on them. When you have governments helping these tournaments, they've got uh, targets and they've got things that they need um, addressing because they're helping you. So, you know, it's a, it's a myriad of issues and I'm not sure that, you know, it's, it, and it hasn't proved to be an easy one to, to fix in the past. And I'm not sure it's an easy one to fix in the problem, but, you know, it doesn't really help when you have a situation like this where, you know, if you want a more uh, cohesive uh, sort of sport, when you have, as I say, um, the, the the tennis players coming here and criticising sort of the company that's about to give you a pretty, pretty sizable check and an opportunity, you're kind of pushing that golf even wider than it was before it even started at the beginning of the year. Okay, so, yeah, you unpacked you know quite a lot there but uh i'm gonna just uh, propose an extension to what i just asked you before matt's question which is uh you know about fair play uh tennis is a different yeah. cell we, we all have non-tennis f- friends who fo- follow tennis maybe wimbledon or u.s open time of the year but they are like nba nfl soccer cricket fans and tennis try explaining tennis to them is hard and covid has only magnified the differences between within the tennis community so my, my question is no surprise. Adelaide bubble is different than Melbourne and the top players are there for the team, ATP team cup, but try explaining this to a non-tennis fan, how this works, because uh, tennis players, like you said, must know what they're signing up for. And each state in Australia has a different situation, how they're handling the COVID bubbles. But try explaining this to a tennis novice who will just tune in for Australian Open and reading that Djokovic and Nadal have practices accessibility and uh, other 70-odd players don't. So when, from a very, uh, from a novice view, because someone who may yeah. listen to this podcast may not know the nuances, how the tour operates. Well, I think this is a pretty unique situation. I think that, you know, guys, I think you, you and I have probably, you know, been around the block a few times to now know that, you know, superstars get preferential treatment and that's in every walk of life. And, you know, is a CEO worth 600 percent more than a you know than a manager in a company is that is that right i mean if you're going to go down the route of of fair and being righteous in in all walks of life and then just picking on tennis then i think we're going to be here for a long time and we're going to find out that the world's a pretty unfair place um and and to try and make it fair across the board is going to take a sea change that isn't going to be solved just on a on a podcast or in a or with one sport. I think, I think that's the first thing is to say that it's, it, it's everywhere, you know, it, there, and there's earned rewards, aren't there? And I'm, and I look at it and I think that, okay, South Australia have just put a lot of money also into their tennis center in Adelaide. This is a way of showcasing that beautiful venue that they have got down there. It's a way of also separating, you know, 50 odd people from, from the rest of uh, everybody else so that we don't get any cross 
crossover. I think one point to make is had there been a positive case on those flights that those players are coming in, they would have been doing the same quarantine as the 72 players that are doing here. That would not have, they would not have been allowed um, to do anything different. You know, they, they were fortunate that obviously they ended up not having a positive case um, on their flight. So, so they have got a huge advantage. There's no question about it in terms of what they've got down there. But you have to say to yourself that they've earned the right. I mean, I, you know, in the harsh reality of this sport, and I've worked on the other side of it now for much longer than I was as um, attempting to play it, um, there are very few players that move the needle in terms of viewership for tennis. There's a very flat line for everybody else. There are very, very, very few players that move the needle in terms of commercially. And, you know, that is the reality for these events. And, you know, um, I'm not going to name them because I think it's unfair on the other players that, that you know, to, to name them. But I see it. I see it in our viewing figures. I see it, you know, in terms of the, the amount of debate and, and, and interest in the sport when certain people match up against each other and when they're on the court so do i have do i understand why the the situation in adelaide has happened yes i do and and i and i understand it completely because they are the people that push the needle who who create interest in the sport who drive the commercial success of our sport and therefore they should be you know they should you know they do get rewarded extremely well and 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 that is why because they've given so much to the sport they've created indelible images for all of us we've left lived through a generation of golden memories um the likes of which we will possibly get again but it seems you know that it's going to take a long time for obviously the other players to kind of create the cvs that, that these players have managed to do so and th- there's unfairness at, at every event you go to i mean the top players always get the big courts to practice on they get used to the speed of those courts they get you know a little bit more, you know they get the time on those courts to be able to prepare and everything else but they but for me personally they've earned the right they've, they they have the big followings they're the reason why tennis is in such a strong position right now and and i know that there's people out there on social media that love to say that you know that it should be a a fair start but it it isn't a fair start most of the time they get more used to playing at night at these tournaments Um, their schedule is on the same court so they already have a massive advantage going into it but as I say and I think the most important thing is an earn right this is a meritocracy at the end of the day this sport um, and and you 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 deserve what you you your rewards for the for the winning that you do you know it you can't have it both ways you don't have you want something that's basic in its in its principles and yet when you look at the prize money and increase in prize money it's purely capitalistic so you know th- therefore there has to be a trade-off that the stars ultimately who drive that those earnings that you're you're winning actually get better treatment you know, in july of last year you know the u.s open the usta was intending to have a tournament but a lot of people and i'm going to include myself in, um, in that group were skeptical but the u.s open did happen but nevertheless the point being that in like june july of last year tennis players around the world were uncertain of when they would get back to playing masters or major tournaments. And so this time, you know, there's still some uncertainty. There, ha- there, you know, there has been some uncertainty around the Australian Open, but, you know, the, 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 the idea that the Australian Open would be played, you know, that's still been there. And so, you know, we've had the quote unquote off season, but, you know, it, to some players, it might not feel as though like a season is starting. It's more about just getting through this Australian Open safely. Uh, 
when you talk to players and you talk to people around the sport, are you hearing conversations about goals for the 2021 season in terms of points, in terms of improvements, or does this particular Australian Open feel less like the first big event of the tennis season and more like an isolated floating event that's being played on its own terms and in its own bizarre circumstances. How much of a sense is there in the tennis community that a new season is actually beginning? I, I think there's a, there's a sense that there's a new season beginning. I don't think that that's in doubt. There's obviously just, obviously just how, how strict Australia is in terms of, you know, the, you know, coming in here, I think has been a, a bit of a wake up call because obviously the tour, as you say, restarted last August under, you know, um, some pretty strict restrictions, but nothing like they're seeing here. And obviously there was, you know, very fortunate to get the tournaments that we ultimately got played last year um, in, in tennis. And, and I think that that was a, you know, that was a real bonus. I think many of us felt as though tennis actually would have, you know, almost come up dry last year in terms of the amount of events that they managed to put on. But thankfully, as I say, it's a rich sport and there was enough money to go around to make those things happen. I think that the, the sense here and, is that basically, you know, this is an op- this was an opportunity to come and play because I still feel as though, although the schedule is out and everything, you know, you look at it on paper, it looks all right. But, there, you know, we all know that this virus is changing and it's mutating and, and there's a big change in America with a new president. Who knows what his uh, desires are going to be in terms of trying to lock down the country to try and get the virus back under control there. So I think from a lot of our perspectives and and the players perspective people that work in it it's it's a question of no this this is the start of the season but how much of the season will we still ultimately get is a question that you know we have to ask ourselves I I did feel to be honest in August of last year that the best thing for the tour to have done was to have come to Australia in November and just stayed here and played around Australia because obviously there was very few COVID cases do the do the quarantine time get people in here and just stay here and be safe because, you know, the whole global travel network, as we see, whether I was in South Africa and my kids were supposed to go back to the States and then British Airways, you know, through the UK government canceled the flights and all of a sudden you're flying through Doha and you're not sure whether you've got to get a PCR or, you know, it it just becomes incredibly uh, stressful and difficult for players to, uh, you know, and the staff and the infrastructure that tennis carries with it globally to get everything around the world. So, so to your question, no, this feels like the start of the season. This feels very much like a, a, a grand slant. We're on the cusp of, a, of the first major of, of the year. Um, but what, what the rest of the year holds, I think many of us are, are, are still doubtful. Yeah, you read my mind. I was going to say that, but I can still uh, ask you this. Uh, so is there an opportunity missed here? I know it's easier said than done, especially on a podcast, uh, for me to just ask a question. A lot of work probably takes to uh, get more tournaments. What I'm uh, alluding here is what you said should have happened last year. I thought there were some many talks to move maybe a longer part of the season post-Australian Open. So it looks like that's not happening. And uh, do you and other people in the tennis community feel uh, that's a given, that's a missed opportunity given the tough times we are in? And thoughts on that? Well, it's, you know, it's so difficult financially to start, you know, breaking up the piece of the pie for a t- tournament if you hold it in Australia and the cost that Australia have to put into put into it and then the tournament is you know in inverted commas throwing it out there just for you know Miami Open you know so you know there you know where how do you divvy up the cost how do you how do you make sure that they don't come out of it 
you know, having lost more money, obviously they couldn't run the tournament last year and it's a, it's a massive, you know, part of the IMG tennis sort of business, that particular tournament as well. So how do you divvy up the cost by doing it? I'd, you know, it was, it was, it's an easy thought for me to have, as you say, um, I just felt as though it was going to be the safest way that we could we could sort of guarantee these tournaments because obviously we see Houston's cancelled, we see Singapore's being put on, um, my bad. And, you know, we hope those events obviously go on, but, you know, there is obviously a risk of, of keep pushing players around the, the world that, you know, you end up becoming, you know, a sport that is also carrying the virus to different places potentially, you know, players are going to get marooned in certain countries. I mean, Singapore has a very strict, you know, is very strict as well. And you're going to get players potentially that are going to get marooned in countries in 14 day quarantines, you know, um, you know, as well. So there, there's a high degree of risk in terms of, of, of what we're still hoping to achieve this year for tennis. And, and obviously, we, but to, to look at it and think that it's a given would be a big mistake. Uh, you know, and th this might be an area where, you know, uh, you might not have a lot of information to draw from, Mark, but uh, have conversations been had between uh, not the tours and the slams on one side and then with local governments, uh, at, you know, at the majors and also the masters uh, tournaments in terms of the rollout of vaccines and when there is an expectation in the broader tennis community when the high-end events uh, are going to be able to have larger crowds? Because obviously that's a big part of the economics of the sport. Uh, do you have any solid information in terms of how those kinds of conversations about the business of tennis and the business of the higher-end tournaments are evolving right now? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't know. Um, you know what that is ultimately going to look like in terms of you know vaccines and um, and and the you know the the privileges <laughs> if you have it that that's going to give you in terms of you know let's just talk about not just tennis but society you're going to get a passport to be able to travel if you've had the vaccine you know how does that sit if you have the Pfizer one um, but you need another one in 12 weeks compared to the Johnson and Johnson one where it's just a one shot hopefully wonder and then you can get on i you know th that's why i'm saying it's it's a very complex situation with with the travel that's involved for these tennis players um in terms of you know getting to the tournaments getting themselves keeping themselves safe staying in whatever proposed bubbles etc that these tournaments are going to want to put on and, and how that ultimately will affect um you know spectators being able to come back into the, the crowds as you say it's very much on a, on a local scale. And, you know, my personal opinion for what it's worth is that I, I doubt we'll be looking normal or whatever normal will look like from 2022. I hope it's very much like what it used to look like, but I, I would be very surprised if we're anywhere near that in 2021. When you, when you talk to fans, Mark, uh, just, just people who enjoy tennis, uh, what are they telling you about like what, what feels like a normal experience? What, what do they tell you in terms of how emotionally invested they feel in the current tournaments within the pandemic uh, compared to before the pandemic hit? I mean, is, do you sense that there's the same enthusiasm or do you think that there's a significant chunk of eroded interest in that, you know, people are, are people saying, in other words, you know, I'll be interested in tennis when we have, you know, full crowds when we have a normal schedule, 
how, how, what's the sense of what you hear from other tennis fans, other uh, tennis diehards when you talk to them and listen to them? I think the significant moments last year, uh, Dominic obviously winning in at the USO, putting in the dramatic fashion, Rafa obviously winning again uh, against Novak at uh, the French. Um, I think the significant moments of last year, uh, obviously Daniel winning at, uh, at, you know in London as well. I think those kind of were, um, you know, for, from the men's side of it. Obviously, the same same goes on the on the ladies' side of things as well. They obviously didn't have quite as many events on the back end of the year, which is why I say that is is that no pandemic tennis without fans is a rough watch for spectators and on the TV. And everyone's trying to do their best to to make it as as good as they can and 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 everybody from the tv broadcasting point of view from the tournament's point of view have obviously you know gone to the nth degree to try and make it as 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 good as you can make a sport without fans in it but it's not the same and it and it doesn't feel the same and um you know it's going to be amazing here even even if they only have 25 percent of the fans to to have them back you saw the difference at the back end of the french open when you when you had a few more fans in there um it, it it's everything and i think the one thing that you talk about when you ask about what's you know the sport in terms of changes and everything else i i hope that the one thing that people really value over anything else right now is the fan because without the fans it's a totally different experience i I, you know, I'm not a big football fan anyway, but I don't really watch much soccer. I mean, it just when I put it on without fans, even where they've got the artificial noise, it just doesn't feel just doesn't feel the same. And, and so, as I say, the attachment in terms of value to the fans and the spectators, I hope from everybody's point of view, has been amplified by the lack of having them. I have one last question, and it may not even apply, and you may not even have a full answer to it because it's more generic. We've talked about perspective, and now let's talk about vision. Things we've learned from COVID, like I'll talk about my office space and other people I know. Uh, companies that didn't allow work from home uh, are allowing people to work from home, and they see the results are there, efficiency has increased and, and whatnot. Are there any lessons that tennis can learn? Of course, a professional sport that you know we want the crowds to come back, but are there any lessons from COVID tennis can learn, and are there any things that can move forward uh, in a way that they were they are not needed anymore. Like small example is ball kids handing out towels, but talk about uh, whole spectrum. You know, if there are things that we can learn from COVID moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that COVID ultimately will show us. You know, what we've been great at over the years as a species is that you know we you know we we invent ourselves again, and I think that you know we'll see a lot of great inventions coming out of this tragedy um, globally in terms of of all walks of life and i think that you know the speed of which the science community and, and health workers and everyone else have moved to uh, to try and do their best has been astonishing so i think i think you know there's there's a lot of you know when you look at that there's a lot of hope attached to it from a tennis point of view um handing out towels yeah i think that you know it's it's definitely something that's a better look and i think if it's a better look and people are happier with it then i think that's that's a good thing um I think the reality is, is that it actually probably slows the game down a bit because the umpire ultimately gives the players a li- little bit more leniency to go to the t- towel. So to stop, you know, the, 
the shot clock gets pressed a little bit later. And I think you'll see that probably next week. I would imagine that for a lot of the players, there's going to be a little leniency on the shot clock coming out of quarantine to go and play their matches so that they get a little bit more time um, between the points. But yeah, I think I think tennis does need to, you know, has there, has there anything happened that apart from the towels and, and everything else that's happened? Um, Hawkeye Live, I mean, you guys can answer the question. Do you do you like it? I personally think that I like the three challenges. I like the fact that we still have um, interaction with, with calls and everything else. It will be interesting to see how that goes on the clay this year when you're looking at Bullmark and Hawkeye as telling you something else if they if they bring that in. I mean, I we you know, I think that we're still in an entertainment industry. I, I still feel as though the innovations are are there to to you know, everyone talks about kind of speeding sport up, but what have we actually done even in this pandemic to or that we could have could have tried? I mean, I, I still feel as though without fans in there we could have tried something. I mean, I still believe that twenty five seconds as a standard between points is is you know is is ridiculous i think if you play naught to four shots you can play the next point within say 15 seconds if you play four to nine you can play the next one within 20 and then anything over that maybe you give you know because you want the longer rallies you can even push it to 30 seconds once you've had something spectacular because people want to calm down doubles for example i still feel as though you know we want to see more of that on on major courts but the only way you're going to get that on major courts because all of us have watched enough two hour plus doubles even with the current rules that they have is that you you have to push it to 10 seconds you know pretty much between points um you you know a lot of a lot of tennis now is on streaming it's not it's not got app breaks every sit down as well so you know is there a need for especially indoors to even change ends um could we not just not be done with the with the sit downs um, and 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 speed the sport up? Um, I still I I feel like there is even with next gen and the changes that they brought in with the score. I don't really want to change the scoring system, but I do feel as though we need to figure out a way to to take the dead air out of tennis. And I don't I I mean there were so many challenges putting these tournaments on that I think it's probably unfair to to say that we haven't tackled some of the bigger or the the other issues that could speed the sport up. I think it's 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 unfair given the everything that was going on but do I feel that we need to do it? Absolutely. I feel we're you know we're slipping behind esports, you know, day by day and and, and other entertainment things that are going on out in the in the world that were never here for tennis. So do we need to adapt and innovate in the same way that the science community has stepped up massively in this pandemic, 100%. I'm not totally convinced that I see it happening. No, very well said. I think uh, uh, this can wrap up the show. I think there's, uh, there's a lot to grasp, a lot to unpack in almost each response you gave. Uh, Mark, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I want to thank you for taking no. time out in your quarantine to speak with me and Matt. And uh, Pleasure. Wish, wish you the best of Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Just yeah. Let me know. I'm always I'm always here, guys. <laughs>